Good Lord. Oh, hi. How y'all doing? Praise the Lord. Good morning to you too. Um, listen, um, I, I, there's a couple things that have been canceled uh, as a result of COVID and our staff. And I said that to you earlier. I just want you to know, like we were two thirds of our staff, if not more, is down with COVID, have been out. And we've been still able to do Sunday services, but not much else. So we had to cancel the marriage conference. Actually, it should be postponed. We're going to find a date to minister to our couples and make sure that we do that. But, um, you know, continue to pray. This thing is, is um, it's gone through our staff. This is the first real, real battle we've had with. We've had this radically, but we haven't had to shut the offices down like we did last week because we just couldn't be open and, and we just let people work remotely. So we got that, that we had to shut down and we've got the welcome also that um, we're postponing. So these things are postponed. You should have gotten something on your way in this morning to let you know what's postponed and what's available. But can I ask you to pray? That's like three of you. Okay. The rest of you don't pray. I got you. Can I ask you to pray? Good. So pray for our staff and our team that they would be well. Most of them are on the men, but a lot of them are at home watching right now. Can we just give them a big kiss? Come on, watch this. We love you. Amen. That probably wasn't COVID approved, but we don't care. Um, listen, so the, the first part of this month, we started a series of messages called Back to the Basics. And the idea was is there would be a companion piece to help you get rooted and built up, that there were practices, there were, as it were, principles to help you get rooted and built up. How many of you know that it is necessary, it is vitally necessary for your roots in Christ to go down deep because storms are coming, Yes. So we want our roots to go down deep in the soil of God's kingdom and our relationship and intimacy with him so that when, not if, when the winds start blowing, when adversity comes, when temptation comes, when trials come, we are able to stand and withstand those uh, seasons in our life. And so we talked about basically seven practices, habits that we wanted to instill in our lives. The first one right out of the gate was Wayne Cadero, the second Sunday of the, of the year, and bringing us back to life journaling and daily devotions, meeting our mentors from scripture, learning and gleaning from their examples and their model of life and the principles upon which they lived, and therefore incorporating them in our lives daily as we're in the word of God, being brought up in the things of God. Therefore, you have a well, an endless well of living water and wisdom by which to draw out. I was not sent into the world with wisdom to help me sustain our lives. In fact, the men in my life got together one time, we were all together, and they said, listen, graduate high school, don't get anybody pregnant. And that was the sum total of wisdom I was sent into the world with. And how many of you know that just because you didn't have a good family, didn't have good upbringing, you didn't have mentors, fathers, mothers that brought you up the right way, how many of you know that they're waiting for you in the scriptures every morning to, to teach you, mentor you, and coach you from their examples, good and bad, yes? And so we, we learned about that. And then the next week was prayer. The week after that, Rachelle and Anaje went into worship. The week after that, I went into serving. And this week, I want to talk about money. Say money. Say money. Yeah, in church, we don't like to talk about sex and money, but everybody wants some. Hello. <laughs> Truth be told about money is it is absolutely the last frontier as it will to authenticate your commitment and love and more importantly, trust before the Lord. I, I remember my pastor used to say repeatedly, because how many remember last week we got people baptized and how many of you just seen people? I love watching people get baptized. Amen. I don't know. There was one young man that got baptized. He's a 49ers fan, and uh, he probably needs Jesus right now, y'all. 
Yeah, that's why you get for sitting in front of me. I got you, bro. And I got the mic, so talk, say something. Come after me. But, but one of the things my pastor would say is like, it's easy to get your body baptized, but, but if you really want to see somebody really that's sold out for Jesus, see if they baptize their wallet or their purse. Because I mean, no, that's the, that's the last frontier. That's where, we, that's where the rubber really meets the road. And if you really want to find out what you value, where your affection, look in your checkbook. Look where you put your resources, because the Bible says that where your treasures are, there shall your heart be also. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, here's what I know from the first service. Whenever you start talking about money, people get tight. They don't want to say amen. What I want you to understand about this message, it is aimed at removing obstacles from your life. Because how many of you right now would say that if you didn't have this bill, this debt, this type of thing, you would even be more generous than you already are? Stick your hand in the air right now, right? So, so how many think that it would be a good thing to take a widow or a single mom and to take care of them for a year at no expense of their own? Raise your hand. How many think that's a good thing? That's like five of you. We have widows in our house right now. We've got widows that have lost the primary uh, financial uh, person in their life, have lost them, and they're compounded with grief and that type of thing. Wouldn't it be a blessing if every year we, just, we had a widow's fund that we just wiped out and took care of widows for an entire year? Or single moms and single dads who are struggling trying to figure out how to take care of kids and, and, and can the kid go to this sport or that sport or this thing? And We got you. It's, it's in our fund already. We got it taken care of. Does that make sense? That's what I mean. So, so then think about it this minute. Don't nobody, don't, nobody raise their hand right now. But think if, if you and I, if all of our, if our church, nobody had a car note, nobody had a mortgage note, like it was wiped out. You could pay for it. It's over. You don't have a mortgage note and you don't have any financial debt of any kind that you have to pay every month. Think about what you would do then. Somebody said, I'm going to Mexico. Ah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Because the simple truth of the matter is, I don't know if you know this, but statistics have proven it. And, and they've taken tons of statistics in the evangelical church. Only 5% of people in the evangelical church give a tithe, which is 10% of their giving. And most people give once a month, maybe on average. So think about that for a minute. 5% give tithes. So 5% of East Hill people are tithers on a consistent basis that we're functioning right now, whatever our ministry is. And it's a miraculous thing that only 5% of our church is actually consistently committed to giving. And yet we're able to do things like what you're seeing because of God's goodness. But, but here's, I saw a statistic that says somewhere between $585 billion is left on the table because we haven't pushed our finances into the kingdom of God. So $585 billion is yet available to the church if we all became a group of tithing, generous people that we're giving. It would remove all of the debt from your generations. It would remove all of the debt from our church. We don't have any debt, but it would give us the ability to move out and do great things for the Lord. How many of you want to be a part of that? Amen. So, so here's the challenge that I have. And some of you may have come from the same situation I came from. I was not taught growing up any financial literacy, much less biblical economics. Everything I learned, I learned on the way from mentors. I thank God for the men and women that God put in my life that model certain things. And for the pastors who taught hard things like money. 
And it's funny to me because some pastors will get a guest speaker to come in to speak on money to the church because they don't want to do it. And for me, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm your pastor, then the most important principles that you must govern your life by, I have to teach those to you. It has to come from me as your pastor. Whether there's a whole bunch of amens or not, it doesn't matter. What I really want is for you to live your life by principles. Do you hear me? Not feelings, not emotions. So, so here's three lies that I bought. I want to get into the meat of my message in a minute, but I wonder if any of you have bought the same lies that I bought. They're cultural lies. Here are three that I bought. Number one, money will bring me significance. In other words, if I have money, then I'll be more important. And you see this in, in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, where all of a sudden the guy comes down, he's selling drugs, he's driving a nice car, he's wearing new clothes, he's got Jordans on, and everybody thinks that guy is the guy. And so then all of the poor people in the neighborhood like me think, if I could just get money, I will be significant. I'll have respect. I'll have esteem. And you see people that, that try to buy worth and value. You know how you do it? We go into debt buying clothes. We go into debt. And it's funny. It's a weird thing because I grew up in neighborhoods where, how many of you ever seen a Maserati before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's an expensive car. How many of you know a Maserati shouldn't be parked outside of an apartment building? That's somebody who is driving something to look a certain way to be significant. And I was in LA, it was funny to me because it seemed like we were going down the freeway and everybody had a BMW and everybody had a Mercedes Benz. And somebody told me, yeah, everybody's leveraged. They've leveraged themselves so they have the image of looking a certain way so that they can feel significant in the culture. Here's what I want for you, from you, not or for you. I don't want you to look significant. I want you to understand that nothing you could ever purchase will ever make you significant. What will make you significant was already purchased for you by Jesus Christ, by placing you in God's family. Nothing you ever wear or ever accumulate will make you significant. And that's the hard part because every time you look around, Luke chapter 12 says it this way. And he went on to say to them all, watch out and guard yourself from every kind of greed because your life it's not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. Doesn't matter. If you're looking for money to make you feel significant, you've missed it. You gotta go back and understand that you are significant and of great value because God set his love on you. Amen. Is that all right? Here's the second lie I bought. Money will make you, will bring you satisfaction. Somehow money is supposed to bring satisfaction or make you happier. How many of you realize that, that there are a lot of people with multiplied millions that are not happy? I know several in my life. I'm like, man, if you just come to church with me, come on, let's read the Bible. We go on vacation together. I'll go visit. I'm like, man, he said, you're still doing the church thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing the church thing. I'm doing the Jesus thing. I go to church, but I'm doing the Jesus thing, a relationship. Because he's talking about religion, and that's not what I have. I have a relationship with a living God. Amen? And so therein lies my satisfaction. It's not anything I can buy. It's like, oh, my God. How many of you have ever gone shopping and had what they call buyer's remorse? Nothing you can buy will satisfy you. Nothing you could wear, nothing you could own. I don't care how many toys you have. It's not going to satisfy. What it will do is it will pacify. And you'd be surprised how many people have thought that if I could buy this or that, then I'll be satisfied. Or worse, my kids will be. So then Christmas comes around and we put $5,000 worth of toys on credit. And all of a sudden you spend a year and a half, two years at 26% interest trying to pay it back. 
Oh, Jesus, just keep looking straight ahead. I'm sorry, where we're going to be cruising at 30,000 feet, there'll be a little turbulence, but please button your seatbelts and stay in your seats all the way through until we land. I wish somebody had told me in my 20s what I'm saying to you right now. I wish somebody had told me it doesn't matter what you wear, what you drive, what you live in. That is not going to make you significant, nor will it satisfy you. In fact, what I had to learn by traveling, going overseas, is that you find people that have next to nothing. Nothing. Corrugated metal roofs, dirt floors have nothing but Jesus and are fully satisfied and full of joy. Now, if I put you in this room and we took away the padded seats and the lights and the music and different things, I got to find me a better church. And if we stay too long, watch this. God forbid if we stay too long, which by the way, in Africa, church is on average three to four hours. So that's what I'm in for next month. Come on, y'all. Pray my strength to the Lord. And one of the things I will take is Gatorade. Hello. It's because it's Africa hot. Are you with me? (laughs) The wisest and richest man in the world in Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 said it this way. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. And if you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. You know why? Because your yearning for more will always outpace your ability to earn it. Your yearning will outpace your earning. And some of us right now are in trouble financially, not because God is not blessing. Because how many of you recognize it doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters how much money you spend. And why you spend it? Most of us don't understand that spending money and getting a this, I just need a promotion. And if I got more money, not if you keep raising your spending to meet the promotion. The idea would be is that you're satisfied in Christ. Come on, somebody. That it doesn't matter what the, listen, every time they put a new iPhone on TV, I get tempted. Come on, somebody. Is anybody tempted when they see the new thing, right? And, and, and I'm grateful for a woman in my life who you can't buy her anything to make her happy or to make her feel loved. She is already a self-contained unit. If I want to love Coco, I got to spend time with her. Darn it. <laughs> can't buy her anything, not a purse, not a car. She doesn't, I mean, even if I take out to dinner, it's good, but she wants to talk. <laughs> and if you pull your phone out, if I happen to, like if one of my, if one of the kids text me at that dinner and I happen to look at my phone, that dinner is over. It's over. You know what she teaches me? Contentment, satisfaction. I'm glad she's in my life because because of her, I've learned to look at myself and ask, why do I need one other thing? What is that thing that I think I'm going to get that's going to satisfy me? And it never does. Lust is never satisfied. We're craving and coveting what other people have. And watch this. Instagram, for those of you in this generation, Instagram is is notorious for having you look at somebody else's life and what they have, compare it to yours, and somehow discredit God's blessing on your life. Admire it. Thank God for what they have. And then say, God, but I'm going to be faithful over what I have, and I'm satisfied and significant in you alone. Amen? Give the church, let the church say amen. Here's the last lie I believe. Money will somehow buy me security. I'll feel, I'll feel safe when I have this amount of money. And then you should got to ask yourself, how much money will it take to make you feel secure? And if it's money that's making you feel secure, have you looked at the economy? <laughs> Say la. Just pause and think about it. If it's money that'll make you feel secure, then 
My question is, is why would you put your security in something that can easily be taken away from you? Easily be taken away. Proverbs is very clear when it says, be wise not to wear yourself out. Proverbs 23 and 4, out trying to get rich. Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. There's so many people that I've found in, during this pandemic that have lost businesses here in Portland. We've got small businessmen and different ones that for generations have established businesses, restaurants, and different services that are gone now. And I saw one lady on TV, and there's a lot of reasons, and people are blaming Clay, Kate Brown and different ones. I got you. I'm not into that. I'm praying. I'm not fixing the blame. I want to fix problems. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? It would be great if you didn't lend your voice to, to chime in when everybody else is railing on somebody and you went to intercessory prayer and asked the second question. I know what the problems are. Can we find solutions? Say la, that's just my little vent right there. Amen. But there was this lady that had lost her business. And I think, how, how many of you ever seen undercover Christians? They, they're not really out with their Christianity. They just kind of drop little breadcrumbs that you think, I think that person may know Jesus. Yeah. She was on the evening news and they were talking about how she had lost her business and it had been, you know, so hard for her over the last several years, just keeping the doors open. And she says, yeah, and, um, but, but God, but life is good and we'll find something else to do, something to the effect of that. And I thought to myself, this woman knows Jesus. Come on, y'all. She's leaking hope that people ordinarily don't have. She wasn't bitter. She wasn't angry. She wasn't resentful. She knew that when a God closes a door or a door shuts, how many know whenever God closes a door or season ends, there's always a new beginning. There's always another door. Don't cry so long at one door that you miss the next season of blessing that God wants to bring in your life. Amen. Touch your neighbor. Say, don't miss it. Tell them right now. Say, don't miss it. Okay. So if I summed up all of the words that Jesus said about money in, in one sentence, here's what the sentence would sound like. Money is a tool, a test, and reveals trust. That would be the sentence. If you just collected all that Jesus said in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, in the Gospels, and you put it in one sentence to summarize what Jesus said, it would be this. Money is a tool, money is a test, and money reveals trust. Amen? Luke chapter 19, I want to read a, a lengthy portion of scripture for you so that you can build your faith. I want you to find yourself in this text, okay? Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. It says this, a nobleman, oops, lost my technology. Here we go. Okay, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying this, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want you to be our king. And after he was crowned king, he returned. He came back and called the servants to whom he had given money to. He said he wanted to find out what their profits were. Say profit. I don't know if you realize it or not, but God wants a return on investment in your life. I'll help you with that later. Hold on. <laughs> the first servant reported, master, I've invested your money. 
and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor over 10 cities as a reward. The next servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. Notice, one got ten, one got five. Both were faithful to use what God gave them, what the king had gave them. But the third servant, say the third one. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. Underline this in your text. I was afraid. Because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and investing crops you didn't plant. Skip down to verse 24. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But those who do nothing, even with the little they have, it will be taken away. Now, there's a couple things that we got to set in order in order for you to understand stewardship. Stewardship, when we say that in the Bible, that means manager. That means somebody that's entrusted with the resources of someone else to manage on their behalf. Symbolic. If you drove my car, how many know you would not drive my car like you drive a rental car? You would bring my car back, hopefully, like I taught my son. And I remember the very first time Keith Jr. borrowed a car from somebody. And I said, okay, when you bring it back, you wash it, you clean it, you put gas in it, you do everything. You send that car back better than you received it. Why? Because I wanted that person to know that Keith Jr. had stewarded that investment of his car for those weeks very well. Amen? I want you to recognize that every single thing you have in your life came from the goodness of God. That's like three of you. Right now, even the breath in your body came from God. He blew the breath of life into Adam. That's how you live. You are sustained right now because God gave you breath. You have borrowed breath indeed right now. The fact that you have clothes, a roof over your head, a car, whatever the car is. And that's one of the funny things my pastor said. I'll never forget it. He said, I can tell you whether you're going to get blessed or not and increase if you take me out to your car. And I said, why? He said, because if your car looks like a garbage can, you are telling God that you don't want any more from him because you are not stewarding what you already have. And at that time, I had two kids 16 months apart with crackers and cookies and trash bags in the back seat. You better know I went to the car wash right away. Simple truth of the matter is, is whatever you have in your life right now, according to this text, is a test for you. It's also a tool. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says in Psalms 24 that God owns everything, that the, the entire world belongs to the Lord, and the fruit and increase of it is His. Everything that you have is God's gift to you. Are you grateful? That's like three of you. How do we show God that we're grateful for what he's given? By being faithful stewards and managing it. Notice there was an idea that they would invest, that they would build, that they would occupy with the resources of the king. The Lord has given each of us resources at different levels according to our ability. Notice one got 10, one got five. It depends. It's, you know, God's not fair. No, God's not fair. God is just. I don't know how you feel about it, but when my kids were little, I realized that they didn't know what to do with money. 
So I remember the very first time that Jocelyn was like four, and we we give them money every Sunday. They would have they would have a quarter or fifty cents to put in an offering in Sunday school, and I said you could do what you want with the rest. Jocelyn one Sunday used her entire offering. Hello, somebody, to go to the store. This was during the time when you could buy cookies for one cent. You hear what I'm saying? You know where the story is going. I saw this little girl with a bag of cookies, fifty some cookies in a bag. She was just happy. And I looked at her and I said, what about God's offering? And she didn't have an answer. Hello, somebody. But I realized she didn't know how to steward money, so we never gave her a dollar. And I remember the other time we gave her a dollar, she just balled it up and put it in her pocket, ended up on the floor. She didn't know what to do with it. How many of you know what you do with your resources is telling God whether he can trust you with more? Whether he can trust you. We, on our money, it says, in God we trust. But a question I'm asking you this morning as a people is, can God trust you with his resources? Because I recognize early, that, and you should recognize it, that you are simply a distribution center. That's all you are. You're a distribution center for God. It is his money, so your hands should never be clenched around your money and your resources. It should always be an open hand before the Lord. Why? Because it's his. He gets to take whatever he wants. Now, I learned this principle a long time ago. If God can get it through you, he will get it to you. If he can get it through you. In other words, can God easily get resources through you to build his kingdom? It's a tool to use to build his kingdom. $70,000 to buy land in Rwanda is coming from this church. 255 kids are being sponsored right now at $39 a month. So that's resources that came to you and now are going through you to benefit the kingdom of God. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Right? So then... So then the challenge is, is can God easily get his resources through you? I learned this lesson the hard way, and I don't want you to learn the lesson that I learned. I remember very distinctly, Wendy, the Lord spoke to me and said, it was like 50 bucks. He said, hey, I want you to give $50 to such and such. It was one of the first times, and money was an issue for me. And I was like, ah, if he'd have asked Coco, she would have done it instantly. I'm not Coco. Hello, somebody. But I remember he was saying, $50. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And I didn't do it. I forgot. I said I was going to do it, and I didn't do it. And a day or two went by. This is real. This happened in my life. And so the Lord spoke to me again. He said, hey, I want you to give that money to such a, did you give that money? I said, ah, no, look, shoot. I forgot. I'll do it right now. He said, no, no, that's okay. I already spoke to somebody else to do it, and they responded and did it. But just know, the next time you need a blessing in your life, maybe I'll send somebody like you to come bless you. And I knelt down right then and there, and I said, God, response equals respect. I don't respect you. I say I do with lip service, but you ask for resources. Here's my trust. I had two kids, 16 months apart. I I remember looking at Keisha. She was still in diapers, and she was like maybe two-ish, you know, two and a half. I was like, you got to come up out of them pampers. Come on. Because you're costing me right now, and Jocelyn is coming up, so we can't have two of y'all in pampers. Anybody been there before? And I'm like, okay, one of y'all going to breastfeed and the other one, you know, we got to figure this out because y'all cost a lot of money right now. And we don't have a lot. So I need you to get potty trained. Say potty, potty. I don't care how many accidents you have, say potty. It was tight. And I remember God saying that to me and I said, Lord, I, I struggle with money. I, I've never been taught to save it. I was taught to spend it. I saw people spend it. People would, you know, get in car accidents, get money, spend it. Nobody ever invested. 
into definitely not into the kingdom of God. And, and so I came to church. And how many remember that time, long time ago, maybe three years, when we used to pass offering buckets? Everybody, that seemed like a, that seemed like a decade ago, doesn't it? And I remember being in church, and, and I was like, oh, shoot, the offering's coming. Shoot. Coco, you got some money? Get a cup of money. Because, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed on the road. It's peer pressure, kind of. Because everybody's here comes the bucket, and we're just like, uh, we're going to put in it. And I was like, okay, give me $5. We had no plan. We had no strategy. We had no intentionality. We had no faith about it. It was just like, whatever you got, just to give it to you. Okay, five. No, not the 20. Definitely not the 50. Five. Five dollars. Give me the five dollars. That's where I lived. You laugh, but that's the truth. That's how it was. And I didn't realize. I didn't understand. I didn't understand sowing and reaping. I didn't understand tithing and God opening windows like I'm about to teach you in a second. I didn't understand anything about financial stewardship. But I did know that God was opening doors for me. I got jobs I wasn't supposed to get. Come on, somebody. I got raises that I wasn't in line for. I had favor on my life, and I could only attribute it to God. And I started wondering Okay, God, is this all about my kids and us? Yes and no. How many know that God is blessing you so that you can be a blessing to your house? Come on, come on, talk to me. Talk to me. Don't Listen, don't get tight in here this morning. This is liberating. This is going to free somebody that's never heard any of this stuff, right? How many of you recognize that, that God wants your house, your generations, blessed? Come on, raise your hand, wave at me. Yes, your grandkids. I Listen, I have grandchildren that sit on my lap and I look at them and think, you don't even know how good you got it. Come on, y'all. You don't have any clue how good you got it because your grandmother and grandfather think about you constantly. And there's a piece of us that's saying we're not going to eat everything we get in our generation because we want to make sure that we hand the next generation something to go further faster with. I was sent out in the world with nothing. Nothing was handed to me. No real estate, no commercial buildings, none of that. Go out. Everybody ate everything, and that's what we started doing. And it wasn't until we came into the body of Christ and started learning principles that we learned to structure. Because here's what tithing does. Tithing, just so you know, is a biblical principle that God instituted in Israel to care for the priests. But more importantly, it was sent to them so that the windows of heaven, so that God's goodness, as they honored him, he would continue to supply for them. Because you need to recognize that giving is a demonstration. It's an act of worship, but it is also a demonstration of your faith in God as your provider and your source. So when you, when you, when, if you can't give, then you start saying something else or someone else is my source. If God is asking me for 10%, and I, how am I going to live off of 90? And I, listen, I lived that life already. I remember the first time I heard that we were supposed to give 10%. And my wife is a literalist. So Coco was like, we got to give 10. I was like, I heard five. I'm sure I heard five. And, and, and what about grace? And what about all this? She was like, no, this is the principle, baby. I'm like, oh, goodness. 10% of a thousand is What? That's what we had. It was like 1500 a month. I think it was like 150 bucks. And I remember sitting in church one Sunday like this, my hands shaking. And she's like, babe, what's wrong? I'm like, I got 10%. Oh, my God. She's like, what do you need? I said, I need a drink. That's what I need. I need a drink, not new wine. I need a drink. Verse 15, the man said he wanted to to find out what their profits were. There was an expectation that there would be an increase with what he had invested. 
Do you know that God is a wise investor? That he knows who to invest in. He knows who's going to be generous. He knows who's going to go shopping the minute that they get some extra money. Rather than stopping and saying, God, this doesn't belong to me. This is your money. Where do you want it? The first thing is not to go to Clackamas Mall. The first thing is to get on your knees and say, God, this is your money. Where do you want it invested? Who do you want to bless? The first thing you do when you get money is 10% immediately, right off the top. Not three days later, not four days later, not five days later. Because once you start pinching it, you will never tithe it. It'll never be free enough at that point. I did it. I mean, we were, it's, it's Friday. I'm like, oh, I'll give it. Oh, shoot, I forgot on Sunday. By Monday, the gas electric bill has come, the rent has come, the car note has come, and guess what's going to happen to Jesus? You know my heart, Jesus. Nothing. And so I never increased. We never get, got any principles under us. And then the tithe started being consistent. And you know what tithing does? When you set God in his proper place in priority and honor, guess what happens to the rest of your finances? They start lining up in principles together. And then somebody told me, by the way, you're not supposed to have any debt. Zero debt. I don't care what anybody says. There's no such thing as good debt. The Bible says you're supposed to be the lender and not the borrower. How much better would it be if nobody in here had a mortgage note on their car, on their house? How many, okay, raise your hand right now if you got a mortgage note. Raise your hand. You got a mortgage note. What? If, just leave it up. Let me see it. Okay? How many of you pay rent? Okay, everybody, mortgage note and rent. Lift your hands. What if we didn't have any of those bills? First thing you'd be able to do is honor God. Second thing you'd be able to do is set your generations up. Wouldn't it be great if there was no such thing in your generations as student loans? That people could go to school and because you saved money and you had money set aside, that your kids didn't have to go into debt to go to school like I did? Like my grandchildren, that's not going to be their life. They're going to go to school and not have to wonder, where can we afford to go? It's like, no, where do you want to go? Whole different conversation. That's because God got involved. You get God involved with your finances by honoring him first. Say first. Let me say this to you. All, what you have is not all you can have. Touch your neighbor and say, what? <laughs> what you have is not all you can have. What's the key? Notice in verse 17, faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be a governor of 10 rewards, the law of use. In other words, the law of use is this. If you use what God has given you, faithfully and steward it well, he will increase you. You don't have to get yourself in line at work. You don't have to smile and laugh at people that are telling corny jokes. Hello, somebody. You don't have to posture yourself a certain way. You don't have to climb stepping on people to get the promotion. No, when you honor the Lord and when you steward what he's given you, increase is a byproduct. He sees your faithful stewardship over your resources and he says, hey, I'm going to take the resources from this one who is afraid to do anything with it and I'm going to give it to the person who has faith and trust in me and me alone. Come on, somebody. How many of you recognize that your job is not your source? Your job is a resource that God uses. And when he closes that door, guess what? He's got another door wide open for you. So if they're handing out pink slips, you just go to Jehovah Jireh and say, God, I've honored you. I'm standing on your word. You are my source. You are my provider. You preserve for us. You give bread to the sower. You return a harvest into our lives. We believe you, God. Not the, listen, I don't care what the forecast is in the economy. I want to know. I'm aware. But I live in God's kingdom and under his economy. 
That means that even if it's a famine, as it were, in the world, and there's inflation and everything's going wrong, how many know that God can turn you into a blessing in a season where other people are going down? You can come up because he's your, you're his child. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. And not just because you're his child, but because you are faithful. Say faithful. If the first thought that comes to your mind is not, God, what do I do with it? If that's not the first thought, your priorities are off right away. The first thought is, I got paid, and, and here's what's funny. What, what if God was like the government? The government doesn't trust you to send them their money. That's why they deduct it. What if God just said, I'm going to just take the tithes right off the top. You're not even going to have a choice. But the fact that you have a choice gives you an opportunity to demonstrate your faith, to walk in trusting in the Lord. Because it's easy to say, I trust God. But money is that litmus test, isn't it? Where we really, that's where the rubber really meets the road. We can sing and dance and do everything else. But when it comes time to write a check to the kingdom of God and to the work of the Lord, that's when we get challenged. That's where the challenge comes. Are you with me this morning? So I want to teach you real briefly, but, but I think thoroughly, what Malachi chapter 3 says about the tithe and the promises associated with it that you can have. Now, here's what we're going to do. For 90 days from this point forward, some of you are going at the end of this service say, God, we haven't lived by this principle. We haven't put you first in our finances. We got you first in a lot of other areas, but we haven't done it in this most core area of our lives. And, and this scripture tells us to test God, to prove him, to see if he won't be faithful to us and increase us in ways. Listen to this. Malachi chapter 3 in verse 10 says this. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. So that helped me right away to understand that 5% wasn't going to be a tithe. Come on, somebody. All the tithes in the storehouse of the church, or the church. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, say if. Yeah. Say it louder. Say if. Yeah. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to, to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. For I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all of the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The idea would be is that when we tithe, the windows of heaven are immediately opened in our life, and God promises to pour out a blessing in our lives that there won't be room enough to contain. I don't know about you. I got some room. Come on. I, I want to be sitting, Coco and I literally, when we sat down at the beginning of this year, we said, okay, how generous do we want to be this year? What did we, here's what we did last year. We knew what we did. We have a record of it. We know what we did. We took on four kids from Africa, and I still was looking at, and so tithing was a foregone conclusion. We give offerings beside. Come on, somebody. And then it was like, can we be generous to four kids? Yes. Where else can we be generous? Why? Because this is not about emotions. It's about principles. The Bible said that you should never give anything under compulsion. I remember as a young disciple, this, this radio broadcast in Southern Cal would come on, and um, this brother would get on TV, on the radio, and he would beg for money. He was like, if you guys don't give, then we're going to have to shut this broadcast down, and I'm sorry, it'll not be able to be reached in your area. And, and he kept getting on, and it irritated me for like three weeks. Finally, Coco and I were listening to it, and I just yelled out loud, then shut it down then. Take it off the radio. 
Obviously, God doesn't want you to continue to do this. It's not being funded. Quit begging and making God look like he's poor. That's why as a pastor even, I don't get to the, you've, I've been here two years. You've never seen me get up. You know, guys, it's been really hard during the pandemic, and, and I just don't know what we're going to do if you guys don't give. Please. This is the very first message in two years, two and a half years, that I've even preached on money. Yeah, just if you don't give it, then I just don't know what's going to happen to us. If I ever do that, go to another church immediately. Immediately, do not come back. Don't come back. I don't know how that helps with church growth, Scott, but... <laughs> this drives me nuts. It's like, no, we live by principles. We teach. You build your life off of principles. This idea that we honor God. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to this. Proverbs 3 and I. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. In one translation, the first fruits. The very first. Say first. Say it again. Say it again. Right away when I get paid, the tenth comes out. I can do it online. I don't even have to wait. Here it comes. I'm on my way. Send it in. Why? Because I want it out of my hands and in the kingdom of God so that God can get activated in it and he can return a blessing. The windows are now open. He's pouring out a blessing that my cup can't contain. And now I can be a blessing to others because my cup is overflowing. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. And he says strange things like, like for us, because we're not agricultural minded, well, you know, your grapes won't cast their grapes before their time. What is he saying? He's going to perfect your timing, which means you're going to be at the right place at the right time to get the blessing. Do you know that there's timing involved with the kingdom of God? That Jesus came and said, in the fullness of time, at the appointed time, there's due seasons in the scriptures. That means that when you go and you get the job, God's going to favor you, your timing, you're going to be there at the right time. I can't tell you how many times if I'd have come five minutes early or two days later, I would have missed the blessing. But because God was in charge and running my life and because this principle was active, I was at the right place, didn't know what was going on, had no idea that God had a prepared blessing. How many know God will prepare blessings and not even tell you? How many you found yourself stumbling into the blessing of God? Come on, wave at me if you stumbled into a blessing. Not, you didn't even know. You were just walking. And all of a sudden, oh my God, that's the blessing of God. Wouldn't it be great that the windows was open and God was pouring out blessings and you were distributing, you were a distribution point, and if he could get it to you and through you, he kept the supply coming. Sometimes your supply has been cut off and is drying up because there is no access to get it through you. Because my pastor said to me, if it's not enough to meet your need, then you should consider it as seed. And I heard that. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's Noah. That's seed time and harvest. If I hold on to this $5,000, I need 50000 But if I hold this five, I'll never be able to get the fifty. But if I sow it, God knows how to turn things around. God knows how to exponentially bless. Are you hearing me? Stewardship is the piece here in the text. They were investing someone else's resources to bring a return, to build. You and I, our chief aim is not so that you build a great house, a great life, and so that you can live in Mexico when you retire. Come on, somebody. That's not the chief aim. The chief aim is that we put the kingdom first, and as you build the kingdom, guess what God does on the backside of you?
He builds your life. He's a better architect than you, just so you know. He's a better financier than you. And all you want to do is be not somebody that spends, but somebody that invests. And the first place is with that 10%. Say 10%. So over the next 90 days, you're going to take these principles in Matthew and Malachi chapter 3, and you're going to say them out loud. And, and if you are, like I was, at the beginning of your walk, faith journey with, with finances, and you... And it's like you're writing it or you texting it and it's a struggle. Just say to God, God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this, but I want to test you and I want to I want to trust you more than I want to test you. I know you said you welcomed me to try you in this, but I want to trust you with everything. And money is a stronghold for me. Do you know that money can be a stronghold even if you don't have any? <laughs> yep. And then all of a sudden, you, if you got plenty, then you all of a sudden become overly scrutinized. He's like, oh, I just don't know. And now you talk to my accountant and this type of thing. And we got to, and I know there's, there's, there's levels of, I got it. But, but the simple truth of the matter is, is, is did God say? Did God say? Because the devil's never going to tell you to take care of a single mom. Come on, somebody. How many of you know the devil's never going to tell you to give to the work of the Lord? That's never going to happen in the history of the devil being the devil. He has never said, give to the church. They really need it. In fact, there's only one place in Scripture where the people of God were told to not give anymore. That was in the building of the tabernacle once this happened. I don't know about you, but I don't remember a time where Ted, Jason, or me has ever said, please don't give anymore. You know why? Because we usually have more, we have more vision than we have money. And most of the vision is being carried by 5% of the people. So here's when you get to try God in this. And say, God, for the next 90 days, we're going to consistent. Every time we get paid, we're going to do exactly what Pastor Keith said, and we're going to stand on Malachi chapter 3 and prove you and see if we aren't able to be sustained and prospered in the things of God. Come on, worship team. How I many hear what I'm saying? Give the Lord a big hand clap right now. Come on, worship team. So let me give you this. I'm going to run real quick. Are you ready? So what do we do with money? The first thing we do is we tithe off of it. First thing we do, 10% goes to the Lord. And over the next 90 days, some of you, and if you are somebody that's taking this challenge, just say, yep, I'm going to prove God. Email the church so I can pray over you. Email the church. Go right to the website and say, yep, we're going to get involved in this. Here's my name. Here's our family. We're getting involved in this. And we're going to trust God, and we're going to see a miracle happen in our lives as a result. We're going to see God be faithful in this way. And I'll pray, and the staff will pray with you over the next 90 days. Amen? Here's the first thing we do. We tithe. Second thing, don't love it. Don't love money. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and 10, the love of money is the root of evil. Money is not evil. The love of it is. Don't live for it. I mean, no, you can't live. You can't. You can only have one master. There's only one master that can, you can have in your life. If you have two, then you'll hate one and love the other. Luke 16 and 13. Don't trust it. Don't love it. Don't live for it. And don't trust it. I don't have any trust in money itself. I have my trust in God. Amen. And then the last thing, don't hoard it. How many of you have seen the show Hoarders? Yeah. Don't hoard your money. Open your barns up and say, God, everything I have is because of your goodness. God, whatever you want to get through me to others, just speak to me. I, I can't even tell you how many times. I always wanted to be on this other end. Robert, I would have people in church. Come here real quick. I'm going to show you what they would do. So somebody would say, hey, Brother Keith, hey, man, and they reach in their pocket, and they just go, hey, brother, and I'd be like, ooh, when you get a Holy Ghost handshake, how many know you know it? 
And I like you put your hand, you all of a sudden, I don't know whether it's 50 or, or 100. And they said, praise God, we love you, brother. And I would just Holy Ghost handshakes, different members in the church. Or we'd be out at restaurants and I'd be like, you know, at the time it's like sizzlers. And, you know, we just didn't have a lot of money and we'd take the kids out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like maybe we shouldn't be out at lunch. And then somebody would pay for our lunch from across the table. Like who did that? And I always thought to myself, I want to be that person. I would, listen, I was grateful for the blessing. I was grateful. It was a, I, I thank God for it. But I always said to myself, God, when I can be the blessing, I want to be the one that's given the blessing. Use me to release burdens, to, to open doors, to give shoes and clothes and all those kind of things. And so if he can get it through you, he'll keep giving it to you. But the problem is, is sometimes he can't get it. And it doesn't matter. You say, well, I just don't have enough. Listen, you came to the wrong pastor. My grandmother was poor. And she always had a pot on her stove. And she always would reach into this ugly little purse that she had, this little thing. She was snapping in church, thinking somebody going to take her money. Come on, y'all. She in church with a little purse. And she put her little offering in. She always gave to the Lord and always gave to others. She was generous where she was. Start where you are and let God increase you. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap right now. Come on, let me pray over you. Stand to your feet with me all over the building. I'm six minutes past my time. I see the red letters up there. Leave me alone wherever Kelsey is, the little Hawaiian girl. Leave me alone. This is all Holy Ghost stuff. Come on. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I already know the answer. So... And this is a bit of a personal disclosure. The only thing that we owe right now in our life is our mortgage note. And I'm asking God to remove that so that we can be more generous. Which when I'm asking God to remove it, which means I'm honoring him by sowing so that we can add extra mortgage payments. So we can pay it down in half the time. Does that make sense? But I know that most, almost everybody here, the statistics are right. All of you have some type of debt somewhere. Now, what you want to do is say, God, I need to be on a plan, whether it's financial peace, whatever it is, to retire this debt. And the very first thing I'm going to do in the step to add a principle to get rid of this debt so I can be free. Say free. You are not free until you are financially free. You're not free. In the next five years. If our church was 100% debt-free, we could plant churches, dig water wells, we could send missionaries, we could do tons of things. But I want you free so that your generations. For me, I know that looking at Alara and looking at Keisha and Jocelyn, the chain has been broken of financial mismanagement. It's broke. They're all way ahead of us. Keisha and Seth have their own house. Keith, Jocelyn's on her way. All of them are on a different trajectory. Why? Because I learned these principles. And generationally, we got set free. How many want that for your generations? Lift your hands before the Lord right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we take your challenge. We take you at your word. We stand on it and say, we're going to test and try you in this. We're going to give our tithe. And Lord, we're going to steward the rest with diligence and excellence to reduce debt so that we can be free, so that we can be a blessing. We want to be a blessing in our generations. Help us to set up our children and our children's children for their futures. 
Lord, cause us, as the scripture was said, to be such a nation that other nations would, such a people that other nations would come and look at the blessing on us and the generosity that we're able to do for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? You said what? Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Yeah. Let me say this to you before you leave. Don't forget to pray. We got two prayer points in our building that you need to pass by. Second thing, don't move yet. Listen, everybody that you meet is going through a hard time right now, okay? Everybody you meet is anxiety-ridden. They're doing the best that they can do. Would you give them grace? Would you look to be a blessing of encouragement to people? Throw your arm around somebody. You see somebody downcast. You continue to invest in relationships like never before. People need a good word and encouragement, inspiration, love. Yeah? And then, at the right time, invite them to God's house with you. Save a seat for them. Bring them to God's house. Take every excuse out of the way. Tell them, you bribe them with food. Tell them, I got lunch after church or whatever it is. Bring them to God's house. Amen? Go with God. God's going to go with you. We love you.